Chapter 8 of Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume 9, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter 8. Horace Greeley's Peace Mission. Not least among the troubles and the vexations of the summer of 1864 was the constant criticism of sincere Republicans who were impatient at what they considered the slow progress of the war, and irritated at the deliberation with which Mr. Lincoln weighed every important act before decision. Besides this, a feeling of discouragement had taken possession of some of the more excitable spirits, which induced them to give ready hospitality to any suggestion of peace foremost among these was horace greeley who in personal interviews in private letters and in the columns of the tribune repeatedly placed before the president with that vigor of expression in which he was unrivaled the complaints and the discontents of a considerable body of devoted if not altogether reasonable union men the attitude of benevolent criticism which he was known to sustain toward the administration naturally drew around him a certain number of adventurers and busybodies who fluttered between the two great parties and were glad to occupy the attention of prominent men on either side with schemes whose only real object was some slight gain or questionable notoriety for themselves a person who called himself william cornell jewett of colorado had gained some sort of intimacy with mr greeley by alleging relations with eminent northern and southern statesmen he wrote interminable letters of advice to mr lincoln as well as to jefferson davis which were never read nor answered but which printed with humorous comment in the new york herald were taken seriously by the undiscriminating and even quoted and discussed in the london papers he wrote to mr greeley in the early part of july from niagara falls and appears to have convinced the latter that he was an authorized intermediary from the confederate authorities to make propositions for peace he wrote that he had just left george n sanders of kentucky on the canada side i am authorized to state to you he continued for our use only not the public that two ambassadors of davis and company are now in canada with full and complete powers for a peace and Mr. Sanders requests that you come on immediately to me at Cataract House to have a private interview, or, if you will send the President's protection for him and two friends, they will come on and meet you. He says the whole matter can be consummated by me, you, them, and President Lincoln. This letter was followed the next day by a telegram saying, Will you come here? Parties have full power. Mr. Greeley was greatly impressed by this communication. The inherent improbabilities of it did not seem to strike him, though the antecedents of Sanders were scarcely more reputable than those of Jewett. He sent the letter and the telegram to the president, enclosed in a letter of his own, the perfervid vehemence of which shows the state of excitement he was laboring under. He refers to his correspondent as our irrepressible friend Colorado Jewett. He admits some doubt as to the full powers, but insists upon the Confederate desire for peace. And thereupon, he says, I venture to remind you that our bleeding, bankrupt, almost dying country also longs for peace, shudders at the prospect of fresh conscriptions, of further wholesale devastations, and of new rivers of human blood. 
and a widespread conviction that the government and its prominent supporters are not anxious for peace and do not improve proffered opportunities to achieve it is doing great harm now and is morally certain and less removed to do far greater in the approaching elections he then rebukes mr lincoln for not having received the stevens embassy disapproves the warlike tone of the baltimore platform urges the president to make overtures for peace in time to affect the north carolina elections and suggests the following plan of adjustment one the union is restored and declared perpetual two slavery is utterly and forever abolished throughout the same three a complete amnesty for all political offenses four payment of four hundred million dollars to the slave states pro rata for their slaves five the slave states to be represented in proportion to their total population six a national convention to be called at once the letter closes with this impassioned appeal mr president i fear you do not realize how intently the people desire any peace consistent with the national integrity and honor and how joyously they would hail its achievement and bless its authors with united states stocks worth but forty cents in gold per dollar and drafting about to commence on the third million of union soldiers can this be wondered at i do not say that a just peace is now attainable though i believe it to be so but i do say that a frank offer by you to the insurgents of terms which the impartial will say ought to be accepted will at the worst prove an immense and sorely needed advantage to the national cause it may save us from a northern insurrection in a postscript mr greeley again urges the president to invite those now at niagara to exhibit their credentials and submit their ultimatum mr lincoln determined at once to take action upon this letter he had no faith in jewett's story he doubted whether the embassy had any existence except in the imagination of sanders and jewett but he felt the unreasonableness and injustice of mr greeley's letter while he did not doubt his good faith and he resolved to convince him at least and perhaps others of his way of thinking that there was no foundation for the reproaches they were casting upon the government for refusing to treat with the rebels that there might be no opportunity for dispute in relation to the facts of the case he arranged that the witness of his willingness to listen to any overtures which might come from the south should be mr greeley himself he answered his letter at once on the ninth of july saying if you can find any person anywhere professing to have any proposition of jefferson davis in writing for peace embracing the restoration of the union and abandonment of slavery whatever else it embraces say to him he may come to me with you and that if he really brings such proposition he shall at least have safe conduct with the paper and without publicity if he chooses to the point where you shall have met him the same if there be two or more persons mr greeley answered this letter the next day in evident embarrassment the president had surprised him by his frank and prompt acquiescence in his suggestions he had accepted the first two points of mr greeley's plan of adjustment the restoration of the union and the abandonment of slavery as the only preliminary conditions of negotiations upon which he would insist and requested this vehement advocate of peace to bring forward his ambassadors mr greeley's reply of the tenth seems somewhat lacking both in temper and in candor 
he thought the negotiators would not open their budget to him repeated his reproaches at the rude repulse of stevens referred again to the importance of doing something in time for the north carolina elections and said at least he would try to get a look into the hand of the men at niagara though he had little heart for it but on the thirteenth he wrote in a much more positive manner he said i have now information on which i can rely that two persons duly commissioned and empowered to negotiate for peace are at this moment not far from niagara falls in canada and are desirous of conferring with yourself or with such persons as you may appoint and empower to treat with them their names only given in confidence are hon clement c clay of alabama and hon jacob thompson of mississippi he added that he knew nothing and had proposed nothing as to terms that it seemed to him high time an effort should be made to terminate the wholesale slaughter he hoped to hear that the president had concluded to act in the premises and to act so promptly as to do some good in the north carolina elections on the receipt of this letter which was written four days after mr greeley had been fully authorized to bring to washington any one he could find empowered to treat for peace and which yet was based on the assumption of the president's unwillingness to do the very thing he had already done mr lincoln resolved to put an end to a correspondence which promised to be indefinitely prolonged by sending an aide-de-camp to new york to arrange in a personal interview what it seemed impossible to conclude by mail on the fifteenth he sent mr greeley a brief telegram expressing his disappointment saying i was not expecting you to send me a letter but to bring me a man or men and announced the departure of a messenger with a letter the letter was of the briefest it merely said yours of the thirteenth is just received and i am disappointed that you have not already reached here with those commissioners if they would consent to come on being shown my letter to you of the ninth inst show this and that to them and if they will come on the terms stated in the former bring them i not only intend a sincere effort for peace but i intend that you shall be a personal witness that it is made this curt and peremptory missive was delivered to mr greeley by major john hay early on the morning of the sixteenth mr greeley was still somewhat reluctant to go he thought someone not so well known would be less embarrassed by public curiosity but said finally that he would start at once if he could be given a safe conduct for four persons to be named by him major hay communicated this to the president and received the required order in reply if there is or is not anything in the affair he wrote i wish to know it without unnecessary delay the safe conduct was immediately written and given to mr greeley who started at once for niagara it provided that clement c clay jacob thompson james p holcomb and george n sanders should have safe conduct to washington in company with horace greeley and should be exempt from arrest or annoyance of any kind from any officer of the united states during their journey nothing was said by mr greeley or by major hay to the effect that this safe conduct modified in any respect the conditions opposed by the president's letter of the ninth it merely carried into effect the proposition made in that letter on arriving at niagara mr greeley placed himself at once in the hands of jewett who was waiting to receive him and sent by him a letter addressed to clay thompson and holcomb in which he said i am informed that you are duly accredited from richmond as the bearers of propositions looking to the establishment of peace that you desire to visit washington in the fulfilment of your mission 
and that you further desire that mr george n sanders shall accompany you if my information be thus far substantially correct i am authorized by the president of the united states to tender you his safe conduct on the journey proposed and to accompany you at the earliest time that will be agreeable to you no clearer proof can be given than is afforded in this letter that mr greeley was absolutely ignorant of all the essential facts appertaining to the negotiation in which he was engaged as it turned out he had been misinformed even as to the personnel of the embassy jacob thompson not being and not having been in company with the others none of them had any authority to act in the capacity attributed to them and worse than all this mr greeley kept out of view in his missive thus shot at a venture the very conditions which mr lincoln had imposed in his letter of the ninth and repeated in that of the fifteenth yet with all the advantages thus afforded to them clay and holcomb felt themselves too bare and naked of credentials to accept mr greeley's offer and were therefore compelled to answer that they had not been accredited from richmond as assumed in his note they made haste to say however that they were acquainted with the views of their government and could easily get credentials or other agents could be accredited in their place if they could be sent to richmond armed with the circumstances disclosed in this correspondence it is incomprehensible that a man of mr greeley's experience should not have recognized at once the purport of this proposal it simply meant that mr lincoln should take the initiative in suing the richmond authorities for peace on terms to be proposed by them the essential impossibility of these terms was not apparent to mr greeley he merely saw that the situation was somewhat different from what he had expected and therefore acknowledged the receipt of the letter promised to report to washington and solicit fresh instructions and then telegraphed to mr lincoln the substance of what clay and holcomb had written the president with unwearied patience drew up a final paper which he sent by major hay to niagara informing mr greeley by telegraph that it was on the way this information mr greeley at once sent over the border with many apologies for the delay major hay arrived at niagara on the twentieth of july with a paper in the president's own handwriting expressed in these words executive mansion washington july eighteenth eighteen sixty four to whom it may concern any proposition which embraces the restoration of peace the integrity of the whole union and the abandonment of slavery and which comes by and with an authority that can control the armies now at war against the united states will be received and considered by the executive government of the united states and will be met by liberal terms on other substantial and collateral points and the bearer or bearers thereof shall have safe conduct both ways abraham lincoln mr greeley had already begun to have some impression of the unfortunate position in which he had placed himself and the reading of this straightforward document still further nettled and perplexed him he proposed to bring jewett into conference this major hay declined he then refused to cross the river to clifton unless major hay would accompany him and himself delivered the paper to the confederate emissaries they therefore went together and met mr holcomb in a private room of the clifton house mr clay being absent for a day and handed him the president's letter after a few moments conversation they separated mr greeley returning to new york and major hay remaining at niagara to receive any answer that might be given to the letter before taking the train mr greeley had an interview with jewett 
unknown to major hay in which he seems to have authorized jewett to continue to act as his representative jewett lost no time in acquainting the emissaries with this fact informing them of the departure of mr greeley of his regret at the sad termination of the initiatory steps taken for peace from the change made by the president in his instructions given him to convey commissioners to washington for negotiations unconditionally and that mr greeley would be pleased to receive their answer through him jewett they replied to jewett with mutual compliments enclosing a long letter to mr greeley arraigning the president for his alleged breach of faith which jewett promptly communicated to the newspapers of the country without notice to major hay informing him afterwards in a note that he did this by way of revenging the slight of the preceding day in giving the letter of the rebel emissaries to the press instead of sending it to its proper destination jewett accomplished the purpose for which it was written it formed a not ineffective document in a heated political campaign it would be difficult to ascertain at this day whether mr greeley ever communicated to jewett or sanders and whether they in their constant flittings to and fro over the suspension bridge ever made known to clay and holcomb the conditions of negotiations laid down by mr lincoln in his letters of the ninth and fifteenth of july at all events they pretended to be ignorant of any such conditions and assumed that the president had set mr greeley to invite them to washington without credentials and without conditions to convey to richmond his overtures of peace they did not say with any certainty that even in this event his overtures would have been accepted but expressed the hope that in the case the war must continue there might have been infused into its conduct something more of the spirit which softens and partially redeems its brutalities they then went on to accuse the president of a sudden and entire change of views of a rude withdrawal of a courteous overture of fresh blasts of war to the bitter end attributing the supposed change to some mysteries of his cabinet or some caprice of his imperial will they plainly intimated that while the south desired peace it would not accept any arrangement which bartered away its self-government and in conclusion they called upon their fellow confederates to strip from their eyes the last film of such delusion that peace is possible and if there were any patriots or christians in the north they implored them to recall the abused authority and vindicate the outraged civilization of the country even this impudent and uncandid manifesto did not convince mr greeley that he had committed an error on the contrary he adopted the point of view of the rebel emissaries and contended after his return to new york that he regarded the safe conduct given him on the sixteenth of july as a waiver by the president of all the conditions of his former letters being attacked by his colleagues of the press for his actions at niagara he could only defend himself by implied censure of the president and this discussion grew so warm that both he and his assailants at last joined in a request to mr lincoln to permit the publication of the correspondence between them this was an excellent opportunity for mr lincoln to vindicate his own proceeding but he rarely looked at such matters from the point of view of personal advantage and he feared that the passionate almost despairing appeals of the most prominent republican editor in the north for peace at any cost would deepen the gloom in the public mind and have an injurious effect upon the union cause he therefore proposed to mr greeley in case the correspondence should be published 
to omit some of the more vehement phrases of his letters and those in which he advocated peace negotiations solely for political effect at the same time he invited him to come to washington and talk with him freely mr greeley writing on the eighth of august accepted both suggestions in principle but he querulously declined going to washington at that time on the ground that the president was surrounded by his bitterest personal enemies and that his going would only result in further mischief as at niagara i will gladly go he continued whenever i feel a hope that their influence has waned then unable to restrain himself he broke out in new and severe reproaches against the president for not having received mr stevens for not having sent a deputation to richmond to ask for peace after vicksburg for not having taken the democrats in congress at their word and sent the three biggest of them as commissioners forthwith to see what kind of peace they could get he referred once more to niagara and said magnanimously let the past go but added the stern admonition do not let this month pass without an earnest effort for peace he held out a hope that if the president would turn from the error of his ways he would still help him make peace but for the time being knowing who are nearest you he gave him up the only meaning this can have is simply dismiss seward from your cabinet and do as i tell you and then perhaps i can save your administration the next day having received another telegram from the president who regardless of his own dignity was still endeavoring to conciliate and convince him mr greeley wrote another letter which we shall give more fully than the rest to show in what a dangerous frame of mind was the editor of the most important organ of public opinion in the north he begins by refusing to telegraph since i learned by sad experience at niagara that my dispatches go to the war department before reaching you i fear that my chance for usefulness has passed i know that nine-tenths of the whole american people north and south are anxious for peace peace on almost any terms and utterly sick of human slaughter and devastation i know that to the general eye it now seems that the rebels are anxious to negotiate and that we repulse their advances i know that if this impression be not removed we shall be beaten out of sight next november i firmly believe that were the election to take place to-morrow the democratic majority in this state and pennsylvania would amount to one hundred thousand and that we should lose connecticut also now if the rebellion can be crushed before november it will do to go on if not we are rushing on certain ruin what then can i do in washington your trusted advisers nearly all think i ought to go to fort lafayette for what i have done already seward wanted me sent there for my brief conference with monsieur mercier the cry has steadily been no truce no armistice no negotiation no mediation nothing but surrender at discretion i have never heard of such fatuity before there is nothing like it in history it must result in disaster or all experience is delusive now i do not know that a tolerable peace could be had but i believe it might have been last month and at all events i know that an honest sincere effort for it would have done us immense good and i think no government fighting a rebellion should ever close its ears to any proposition the rebels may make i beg you implore you to inaugurate or invite proposals for peace forthwith and in case peace cannot now be made 
consent to an armistice for one year each party to retain unmolested all it now holds but the rebel ports to be opened meanwhile let a national convention be held and there will surely be no more war at all events in letter of the eleventh of august mr greeley closed this extraordinary correspondence by insisting that if his letters were published they should be printed entire this was accepted by mr lincoln as a veto upon their publication he could not afford for the sake of vindicating his own action to reveal to the country the despondency one might almost say the desperation of one so prominent in republican councils as the editor of the tribune the spectacle of this veteran journalist who was justly regarded as the leading controversial writer on the anti-slavery side ready to sacrifice everything for peace and frantically denouncing the government for refusing to surrender the contest would have been in its effect upon public opinion a disaster equal to the loss of a great battle the president had a sincere regard for mr greeley also and was unwilling to injure him in his great capacities for usefulness by publishing these ill-considered and discouraging utterances his magnanimity was hardly appreciated mr greeley in his letter of the eleventh of august and afterwards insisted that the president had in his letter and his dispatch of the fifteenth of july changed his ground from that held in his letter of the ninth which ground he asserted was again shifted in his paper to whom it may concern this was of course wholly without foundation the letter of the ninth authorized mr greeley to bring to washington any one professing to have any proposition of jefferson davis in writing for peace embracing the restoration of the union and abandonment of slavery the letter of the fifteenth repeats the offer contained in that of the ninth saying show that and this to them and if they will come on the terms stated in the former bring them the next day major hay gave mr greeley a formal safe conduct for himself and party and neither of them thought of it as nullifying the president's letters indeed mr greeley's sole preposterous justification for his claim that his safe conduct superseded the president's instructions was that major hay did not say that it did not it was characteristic of mr lincoln that seeing the temper in which mr greeley regarded the transaction he dropped the matter and submitted in silence to the misrepresentations to which he was subjected by reason of it the correspondence preceding the niagara conference was not published until after the president's death that subsequent to it sees the light for the first time in these pages the public having nothing of the record except the impudent manifesto of clay and holcomb the foolish chatter of jewett and such half-statements as mr greeley chose to make in answer to the assaults of his confreres of the press judged mr lincoln unjustly some thought he erred in giving any hearing to the rebels some criticized his choice of a commissioner and the opposition naturally made the most of his conditions of negotiation and accused him of embarking in a war of extermination in the interest of the negro so that this well-meant effort of the president to ascertain what were the possibilities of peace through negotiation or failing that to convince the representative of a large body of republicans of his willingness to do all he could in that direction resulted 
only in putting a keener edge upon the criticisms of his supporters and in arming his adversaries with a weapon which they used after their manner among the rebels of the border states and their sympathizers in the north nevertheless surveying the whole transaction after a lapse of twenty-five years it is not easy to see how any act of his in relation to it is lacking in wisdom or how it could have been changed for the better certainly every step of the proceeding was marked with his usual unselfish sincerity and magnanimity to friend and to foe End of chapter eight